How many believe the Lord is real? How many believe he's real enough and interested enough in you that he'd like to speak to you tonight? One last question. How many don't care what he has to say as long as it's him? Hmm. I'll give you a moment. How many are not concerned about what he has to say as long as it's him that's saying it? Oh, thank you for your honesty. I'm going to preach anyways. Psalms chapter 20. Uh, Josh, are we good? Okay. Psalms chapter 20. Um, we're going to turn there. The title of the message is Some Trust in Horses. Listen. Relax. It's fine. It's going to be okay. We'll get out of here tonight. I won't do anything that will disturb you. Believe me, it'll be great. <laughs> Psalms chapter 20 is a sacred song. Many of the Psalms are songs, and uh, not just poetic. And this was usually sung prior to the time that the king was going to war. That's the time it was sung. It was a battle prayer or a litany which probably was chanted in the sanctuary on the eve of a great expedition, the great expedition to crush the rebellion of the Amorites and the Syrians. And so what would happen is before they went to war, this is what they'd sing, all of chapter 20. And it was a song that both the king and his army and the people of Israel would recite, and it's divided up in this fashion. So we're going to recite it tonight, as, and I'll be the king. Okay, When you preach, you can be the king. But for now, you're the crowd or the army or the corral, whatever you want to be, I'll be the king, just for tonight. Okay? So it's divided up into five parts. Can we show Josh? Part one. There we go. So you're part one. The people say part one. It's the first five verses. I need you to follow along if you have a Bible. The second part is the first part of verse five. And I say that as the king. Okay? The second part, or sorry, the third part is your part, and it's the second part of verse 5, and you say that as the people. I reply with verse 6, and then all together, verse 7, 8, and 9, we say together. Okay? How many are excited about this liturgy, honestly? You're just excited. I can tell. You waited all week for this. Stand up. We're going to do this together. You don't have to dance, you don't have to flag, stay in your seats, watch the screen so you don't get confused, okay? I'll give you your cue. Part one is the people, part two is the king, part three is the people, part four is the king, part five, we're all together. On three, let's go. One, two, three. And the king would say, may we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. And the people would say, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions, 
And the king would say, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And altogether, as if we are going to war, we say, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and they fall, but we rise and we stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And all of the Old Testament saints said, we're not sure what they say, do we? <laughs> you can be seated. Thank you. You're very good. You should try that more often. The most important verse here for me is found in verse 7 where it says, Some trust in horses, or sorry, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. And I used to read this verse and felt like it made sense, obviously, but after researching it a little bit further, I began to understand that there was more to it than initially meets the eye. As I started to dig into it, I found out that historically, that God actually commanded Israel in David's reign, when they came out of Egypt, not to use horses and not to use chariots when they went to war. The law even states that David could neither have chariots nor horses for that purpose. And so those who came against him with a cavalry must have been seen to have a great advantage. Imagine some of those war horses that you see on TV. Imagine them coming after you and a chariot. Imagine you standing six foot three. I don't care how much armor you have. When a horse and a chariot and some other dude runs over you, how many know that's going to hurt at least the first time? Knock you senseless and then after that it won't matter. But it will hurt the first time for sure. This is what David, in honoring the Lord, put up with. This is what he did. Think about it for a moment. Thousands, not just hundred, but thousands of horses and thousands of chariots arrayed against you, an army of footmen. I don't know what they had, spears, swords, really it matters? You and I would look at that and we'd say, man, if that's the best that they've got, this battle is ours. There's no question about it. And yet David knew that Jehovah was his God, and Jehovah was more than a match for all of the foes who trusted and had confidence in their armaments. No horses, no chariots, no tanks, no ballistic missiles, not even a sidearm, nothing. You couldn't have those things. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 1 says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you saw horses and chariots. The reason you saw them is because they didn't go out with you to that battle. You didn't have any of your own. That's why you're seeing them for the first time. When you see them and they're larger than your own in terms of the army, you will not be afraid of them. How many know that's a little easier said than done? Right? How many have ever played hockey here? Women, men, doesn't matter. You know that thing that that sin of Satan, spawn of Satan place they call the church league? How many know what that's about? Right? I, I don't know that there's such a thing. If there is, it doesn't honor God. So you go to one, you should maybe ask the Lord if you're where you should be. 
But I used to play against them, and we play against a team on the East Coast from a place called Grand Manan Island, and they're all fishermen. And they were as big as whales. Every single one of them were massive. And they would come out on, on, the, on, the, uh, on, the, on the ice to play against us, and the only benefit we had is if they had gotten drunk before they got on the ice. Because then we could knock them off their feet, and we'd win. We often won. And we felt that it was the Lord that was helping us, but I'm not sure that that's the case. Imagine, though, if you're in David's situation, coming against this group of, of army and this group of armaments, and all you had were people that were literally walking and running on the ground. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is how tough this was. Normally, it would be seen as a recipe for disaster, except that Jehovah said that he would make them victorious regardless. Say the word regardless. So what's the problem with horses and chariots? Why is that such a big deal, Larry? Why is it that the Lord would not allow them to have that in that day? There's three reasons. The first one is that Israel would always be tempted to return to Egypt to get said horses. You see, Egypt was known historically as the place to get war horses on a regular basis. That's where you went, right? It's like getting cheese from Green Bay, I guess. Or it's like uh, getting, uh, what do you get from Saskatoon? Do you get anything from Saskatoon? Whatever you get. It's berries. <laughs> I lived there for 10 years. I never knew that. You, you could have told me. It's like, it's like anything else. The first place you think of, where are we going to go? We're going to go to Egypt because Egypt has the horses that we need. They actually breed those horses, and that's the place to get them. By not allowing Israel to use horses and chariots, God was keeping them from the temptation of wanting to go back and live in Egypt. Deuteronomy 17 says this, verse 14, When you enter into the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king up over us like all the nations who are around me. You will surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set his king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourself, which is not your countrymen. And then he said, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. So the Lord was saying, one of the reasons you can't have horses is the fact that if you have them, you're going to be tempted to go and live in Egypt again. And that will never happen, and I will not allow you to do that. Even if I have to give you, hear me, a miracle every time you go to battle because you don't have the same amount of armament and the same amount of men as your enemy does. Even if that's all it if I have to do that, I'll do that for that reason alone. Egypt was the world's premier source of breeding farms that produced war horses. God knew that Israel would be tempted to enter into alliances with Egypt to acquire horses for their army, and so he gave a prohibition against the use of horses to ensure that Israel would not depend on them and in so doing, be tempted to return again to Egypt. Number two, the second reason that horses weren't allowed is because the nation of Israel was always a defensive nation, not an offensive nation. 
Horses and chariots were the appendages of war, and as a result, they were forbidden to Israel, for war was not their trade. They had no standing army at the time. They were always to be conscious of the inadequacy of their own resources and thus to be taught to trust implicitly in the Lord, their God. I would suggest that this trust has regularly been reciprocated with God's favor and even continues to this day. Amen? Those of you that follow Israel, you know there's something something supernatural about that nation in terms of them being able to stand up against their enemies. They're not fearful. They're not fearful at all. Why is that? Because the Lord, their God, will look out for them and will battle on their behalf, even when they don't have everything that maybe they need to win that battle. The reason they couldn't have horses and chariots is because they were a defensive, not an offensive nation in in stature. The last one is this. With no horses or chariots, God had to come through. He really did. He really did. And every time he came through, their faith in him was reinforced again and again. And again and again and again. The Israeli army was known for its valor and its bravery. And whenever they would win a battle against their enemies who were well-equipped... They knew it had to be Jehovah who had given them the victory. Amen? They knew. There's just no other way. No other way. It had to be Jehovah. This kept their focus on God and not on themselves. Let me say that again. This kept their focus on God and not on themselves. If there was ever a place to have your focus that was safe, how many know it's on the Lord? It's not on us. You ever looked in the mirror? How many looked in the mirror this morning? Not many, I guess. (laughs) Try it. (laughs) Not near as scary as you let on. (laughs) Do you ever get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Oh, Lord. (laughs) And he says, Yes. And you said, Oh, (laughs) sorry, I wasn't really calling you. It just looks really bad. And he says, in spite of how bad it looks, I'm with you, so it's always good. Can I say that to Regina Apostolic Church? I will anyways. He's with you. With you. He will not leave you. He'll not forsake you. He'll always be with you. And the, and the same provision that he's looking to give Israel, he will give you. They weren't to be exposed to the temptation of conquest because they were never so triumphant as when they were trusting in God alone. Psalms 31 and verse, sorry, Isaiah 31 and 1 says this, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who... T- Trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Woe to those. Whenever God says woe, you should woe and find out what it is he's trying to say. Amen? 
I just sometimes, the Lord speaks to me and he says, whoa, wait a minute. Just appear at this. Take a close look. Whoa, he said. That's not what this is about, but take a look. What is it he's trying to say? How is he trying to get your attention? What's he speaking into your spirit so that he can drop the words of life into your heart? Allow him to speak that to you. Can I suggest to you, can I tell you, that the same truth that applies to Israel historically applies to the church today, in modern day, applies to the Christian today, in the same way as it did with Israel. Jeremiah points to the tendency which men have to trust in the creature rather than in the creator in Jeremiah 17 and 5. He said, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes the flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord. He will be like a shrub. I haven't read this verse, I think, in years. This comparison is so amazing to me. Follow along with it in verse 5 and 6. He will be like a shrub in the desert. He will not see when prosperity comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, say that word, whose Say it like you mean it. Whose is in the Lord? He will be like a tree planted by the rivers that sends out its roots toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. And its leaves are always green. Always green. Look all you want, folks. There's not a green leaf for 100 million miles today. There's not even any signs of life for crying out loud. (laughs) But he said, if you plant yourself by the river, your leaves will always be green. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'd be like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots toward the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes and its leaves are always green. It will not worry in a year of drought, or cease producing fruit. Many times when I speak, the Lord will give me a prophetic word that's for a certain number of people. Maybe not, it it applies to everybody, but there's some people that have come tonight that this applies to specifically. And, And this is that word for you. It says that you will not fear. And you go to bed at night fearing a lack So your fear is about a lack. Your fear is about not having enough. And you have every reason to fear because you're trusting in yourself or some other means for that to come to pass. But I would suggest to you today that there'll be a miracle in the house in your life. You as a house will have a miracle this week. By this time next week, God will redeem that lack with plenty if you'll allow him to. But your focus can't be on your ability to bring that about. It must be on his desire to do so. And as long as it's your deal, he'll leave it as your deal until you get sick enough of your deal that you take his deal. I don't know who that's for. But there's no extra charge. Paul tells us, as we know, that although we battle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we live in the flesh... We don't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments, 
every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's where our battle is. Again, Paul tells us that our strength in this battle comes from being strong in the Lord, not our abilities, not the arm of the flesh, not your intelligence, not your degrees, not your money, not your bank account. Your victory does not come from all of those other things. Your victory, in fact, comes from him quite apart from you. And all he requires of you and I is a simple act of obedience towards him. And he's happy to give us whatever it is we need. That's quite a switch, isn't it? That's quite a response. Paul said again, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Whose armor is it? Oh, some of you aren't sure. Okay, now you've heard the right answer. I'll let you respond. Whose armor is it anyways? It's God's armor. And who's to put it on? Say, I am. Man, if this was a test, you guys would ace it. This is great. Whose armor is it? And who's supposed to put his armor on? Who's I? Yeah. I thought we were going to get out of here by midnight, but I may, may be able to catch Boston pizza before it closes. Just as Israel was ineffective when they relied on the horse and the chariot and not on the Lord, so are Christians who rely on the arm of the flesh instead of the name of the Lord. How many know that's true? How many have proven that you could write a book about that? You know that's for a fact, right? Put your hand up if that's you. Paul then tells the church in Philippi why he has reason to trust or boast in his own abilities and his own righteousness and what he does as a result of that. Follow with me, Philippians 3 and verse 4. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of what? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. A month ago, when I knew that I was coming to Regina App and I was going to be given the honor to speak to you, I, as I do every other place, I just said, Lord, what do you want to say? <clears throat> and I would have taken some direction from him. I'd say eight in the morning, nine in the morning, but he chose three in the morning. Oh, you laugh. I'm going to ask the Lord to do that to you. So I literally woke up at three in the morning. I, in my heart, I was saying, you've got to be kidding. But I said verbally, yes, Lord. And the Lord spoke to me. That's the reason I'm here. I'm not speaking to you tonight because I was given an opportunity to speak. I'm speaking to you because the Lord directed me to come and give me a specific word for you as a church. It's a good word. But you need to listen. It's corporate and personal. And this is what I believe he brought me here to say. 
Many years ago, the Lord birthed Regina Apostolic Church with a destiny to be a great and influential assembly on a national level in the nation of Canada. That was your destiny. But for all of its successes, it hides under the guise of a local church. I see this to encourage you. I say this to bless you. But I will say this because God told me to. It's not to bring any glory to me. For all of its successes, it hides under the guise of a local church. This will continue to be the case. Your potential will continue to be neutered in comparison. You'll continue to be distracted by comparatively small successes and impeded in stepping into your destiny until you stop trusting in horses and stop trusting Stop trusting in horses and stop trusting in chariots and put your trust in the Lord's name in every single way. Say, so Larry, do you not know how many people come to this church? No. And frankly... It matters not. Are you saying that Pastor Dan and Pastor Rick and Pastor Merv and all of those people did a bad job? You didn't hear me say that. Don't you dare read into something I'm not saying. This is what I am saying. I'm saying that for all of the success that you've had to this point, you become satisfied with that success and not push on beyond it to your destiny. You say, what's that look like, Larry? He didn't tell me. But he's at the head of it. I don't have to even go to the Bible to tell you that was his plan in the first place. Not a man, or two, or six, or 20, but him. Him. Say, well, this is comfortable. That's another word for sin. I didn't say there's anything wrong with it. I honor the men who have led this church and all of the people who have worked in it. I do. I love this assembly. But there's more, folks. You have no idea. If ever, if ever in the nation of Canada, we've needed the church to rise up, it's today. Is it enough? Is it enough that we handle uh, chariots and horses? and boards, and pulpit selection committees, and money, and missions? Is that enough? Is it enough that the church is vacuumed? 
Is it enough that you come in and the lights are on and somebody counts your nose when you put your nickel in the plate? No. Look at me. You don't want that. In your heart, you want what he has. It'll always be grand. It'll always be powerful. It'll always be greater than what you have. But you must give up your reliance on everything that's brought you to this point. And say, Lord, whatever our destiny is, we want what you have. We want what you have. Whatever, Lord. I have no idea why you don't have a pastor by now. I don't want to talk about it. Everybody's got their own opinion, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It's none of my business, frankly. But I can tell you this. Whoever the Lord may have in mind, whoever, if it's to carry on being a local church, you've got the wrong person. I told Pastor Dan, I asked him if I could share a prophetic word. He said, yes. I said, I'm not apologizing because I'm not flying all the way back here from Calgary just to make a couple of people feel good. So you'll never speak here again. If this is your weather, I don't want to. Say, why would you come in here and talk this way? Because God woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and told me to say this. Say, what? I ought to obey him. I'm much more afraid of him than any of you, all together. Even if I have to get a horse and a chariot myself, I'll take you down. Oh, it'll happen. We look to man here and here and here and here and here for our answer, but God says to look first to him. Well, we have people that pray. I didn't say you didn't. They prayed for me tonight. I didn't say you're not praying. I'm not saying you're not good, taking good offerings. I'm not saying you're not living righteously. I didn't say any of that. I'm saying if the word of the Lord has come to you and you've heard it in your spirit, then respond to it based on the fact that it's him and not me who leaves tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Thank you, Jesus. Don't trust in your horses. Don't trust in your chariots. Don't trust in the arm of your flesh. Don't act like this is how you'll be saved or you'll be advanced. Don't suggest that your good ideas will propagate this church to become a national church in terms of its influence, realizing its destiny because of your good ideas or a group of you or all of you for that matter. It won't happen. There's not enough good ideas in the house to accomplish that. Nothing that will overtake the presence of the Lord. Amen? Nothing. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I didn't want to say this. I'd like to get up and make jokes, give a nice little scriptural mandate, and we all leave. So, oh, that guy. Did you see his jacket? 
Seriously, I'm not here for that purpose. I'm here to be obedient. I preach in your church lots of times. You've never heard me talk like this, right? Never. I'm just being obedient to share what I feel I've been asked to share. But if this resonates with you on a personal level, on a family level, on a work level, or even on a church level, then I have one final thing to say to you. And it's this. Repent. Repent. Turn around and go the opposite direction. Oh, I know you think this is for other people. No, I already spoke to them. This is for you. That's why you're here tonight. See, I'm a visitor. It's still for you. I don't know what the church you go to looks like, that he had to bring you here for me to speak to you. Repent. Come before the Lord and repent of putting your trust in a chariot or a horse. When Jehovah stands there knocking at the door saying, I got this if you'll let me. I got this. So this is what we're going to do. We're not going to have a band. Because they always get to hide behind their instruments. And I'm not saying that they need to tonight. I'm just saying we're not going to use the band. There'll be no worship team, no worship leader as good as they are. Not tonight. There'll be no flags and no dancers. There'll be no staff. So nobody will pray for you. Not tonight. There'll be no altar workers, no prayer team. There'll be no sound and no video. This is not for someone else. This is for you. I don't know how you repent. I don't know what your, what your tenor is. I don't know exactly how you do it. It doesn't matter. It's none of my business. I don't even want to know what it is that you have to repent for. But if it falls within the guidelines of what I said, then it's time to have church. Let's get on with being obedient. Let's get out of the road and let this become a national influence as a church in the nation of Canada. Let's start now. Now. So Brendan's going to put some music on. If that's you... If there's three of us, so be it. Don't pray for anybody. That's not your prerogative. I won't let you do that. You want to argue with me about the word of God? You come and argue with me when we're finished at the altar. I'm happy to sit with you for at least 30 seconds. Regina Apostolic Church. Come before your Lord and repent so that he can move through you and he can move through this church. I don't care what involvement you've had. This may be more personal with you. 
Maybe you've tried to be an arm, or a chariot or a horse yourself. Maybe you've tried to accomplish things on your own personally. Then this is a personal word for you more than a corporate word. Do you come? This will be the last time I ask. This is between you and your father. You respond as he tells you to. What are you going to do with the word? What are you going to do with it? When you go home tonight, just going to park it, look at the NHL, whoever happens to still be playing, probably the Sharks or the Kings will be playing for the Ducks. Why don't you go home and get in your prayer closet for a little while and just talk to the Lord. And then let the fruits of repentance be seen in the days to come. You know, as a young pastor, I used to go back to my home church up in Melfort, and they'd let me preach sometimes. And I remember praying with one of my school friends, and she'd come to the altar every time I was there and cry and sob and put all that moisture on my jacket and my shirt that I didn't need, lubricate my clothing very well with all her tears and mucus crying and confessing and she felt good when she left the altar but she didn't do anything with it so we can have this word stir us tonight and that's Larry thank you for opening your heart and being obedient to the word of the Lord thank you but folks we need to do something with it we need to show the fruits of repentance so love one another and care for one another and Pray for one another and walk with one another. This church has so much potential. So much potential. But it depends on you. So may the Lord bless you, keep you, watch over you. May his countenance shine upon you. And may you just experience God's grace abounding upon you. As you submit yourself to him, may you just see the mercies of God extended to you hour by hour and day by day. May you truly walk out of here knowing that God's presence is the only thing that's going to make a difference in your life and make a difference in our church. The musicians come early, they pray, they plan, they practice, they work with different songs and try to create an atmosphere. But unless Holy Spirit shows up, it's just good music. They know that. But we need you to respond as they, as they lead us into the presence of the Lord. So the atmosphere will be hot when the word of the Lord comes. And your hearts will be open to receive what God says. So Larry, thank you for coming and sharing your heart today. God give you strength and minister everything that you need in your life and in your ministry. But, so Lord, bless you as you go your separate ways tonight. May you experience God's peace resting upon your lives. We bless you. Thank you for listening to another sermon podcast from Regina Apostolic Church. We hope you're inspired and challenged. For more content, find us at reginaapp.com.